Welcome to the Rood Church Podcast. What's the difference between contentment and complacency? Does my contentment rob me of my ambition? These are questions we may ask ourselves on the faith journey. In today's message, I Have Enough, Pastor Luke Berry explores the story of Jacob and Esau, illuminating perspectives that rob us of finding lasting contentment in God. Commitment lasts longer in community. Discover a VU crew at vuchurch.com forward slash cruise. Now let's lean into the message together. So about two weeks ago, Pastor Rich let me know that I was going to have the opportunity to share with you today. And so I started to think to myself, what do I want to talk about? And I felt drawn uh, to the story of King Saul. And I wanted to preach on fear. And then I came to church last Sunday. And um, that's not what we're going to talk about today. So if you don't get it, we missed you last Sunday. Uh, We're glad that you're here today, Um, but it's good to know I'm in sync with my pastor. We're on the same page. Um, So instead today, I want to start with a question, and the question is simple. Is it wrong to be content? Now, you might say, listen, that's a dumb question, because of course it's not wrong to be content. What could possibly be wrong with contentment? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Let me ask it another way. Uh, Is it wrong to be ambitious? And again, you might say, of course, there's nothing wrong with ambition, but don't these two things kind of live in tension with one another? Like, aren't you either ambitious or content? Can you be both? Because Ambition is kind of like a state of dissatisfaction with what is and a desire for something more, to do something more, to achieve something more, to see something more in your life, while contentment, on the contrary, is kind of like a state of satisfaction with what is. And it doesn't come with any desire to change anything or be more, do more, see more. And I don't know about you, but I actually really feel the tension between these things in my life. Sometimes I think to myself, man, I should be more ambitious. Like I should have more vision for the future. I, I should have more goals. I should be more driven. I, I, I want to achieve something great in my life. But then again, sometimes I think to myself, I should be more content. I should be happier with what I have. I isn't like contentment, the motivation for ambition anyway. So like, if I were just content, then I could skip all the work and all the pain and all the difficulty, and I could just be happy where I am right now. But then my problem with contentment is like, how do you know the difference between contentment and complacency, right? Like, how do I know if I'm practicing the virtue of contentment or if I'm just stuck in a vice of laziness? All my life, I've had people tell me, um, you should care more. You should care more. You don't care enough. We missed the deadline. You didn't even care. We lost the game. You didn't even care. You relate to class. You didn't even care. You, you relate for your curfew. You didn't even care. You should care more. We gave you detention. You didn't even care. In my head, I've always kind of thought like, what if the thing we're talking about doesn't matter that much? In that case, I would argue you should probably care a little bit less. Was I being content or complacent? We'll never know for sure. But just because you tell me to care about it doesn't mean it matters. How many of you know that there are forces and factors in our world that want to drive discontentment, that want to make us dissatisfied with where we are, 
There are parts of our world that are designed for that. Like, isn't that the goal of all modern marketing? Make people feel dissatisfied with what they have so they'll want to buy more? If we were content with what we had, would we be any good as consumers? If you're in marketing, God bless you. I'm, I'm, I, we love you. But that's kind of my problem with contentment. So, but I also have a problem with ambition. And I can state it a little more succinctly. My problem with ambition is I don't know where my life is going. So how can I drive my life? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm a Christian, so I believe that God has a plan for my life that is known to him and a mystery to me. I believe that he has a purpose for me and that he is guiding my steps. And he's given me some clues on the journey. He's given me passions. He's given me talents. He's given me opportunities. But I don't know what I'm really supposed to do with all those things. He's given me open doors. And I don't want to live in fear that I'm going to derail my life. But I also don't really want to be in charge. I don't really want a five-year plan. I don't really want to define how my life should go. I don't really want to be in charge. I, I don't want to go after something that God doesn't want for me, that he doesn't have for me. I don't want to get distracted by the values and the lies and the temptations of our culture and of this world that would have me dissatisfied with what I already have. I don't want to be drawn away from my purpose. I don't want the idea of how I think my life is supposed to go to drown out the voice of God who's trying to direct my steps. So that's it's kind of my problem with ambition. But I guess the real trouble is, I don't want to give up either. I don't really want to have to choose between them. So is it possible to have both? And if so, how do we navigate this rocky relationship between contentment and ambition? And to explore the answers to this question today, I want to take you to an Old Testament story it's a story about two brothers who were born in tension. As the story goes, it says their mother, when she was pregnant, it says the babies jostled within her. And as she went to God to find out what was going on, he said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So when it came time for her to give birth, sure enough, there were twins in her womb. And scripture says the first one came out hairy and red. Now, I don't know what to picture here, but these details are repeated a lot. So I have to believe these were very prominent. I'm picturing a werewolf. I, it's concerning. So they called him Esau, which Hebrew scholars think might just mean hairy. The second one, he came out grasping the heel of his brother, and so they called him Jacob, which means he grasps the heel, which in Hebrew culture was an idiom for he deceives. So our story begins with Esau the hairy and Jacob the deceiver at odds from birth. Now go with me to Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 27. It says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, their father, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, 
let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And this is why he was also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank. He got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. I think that this story has something to teach us about ambition and contentment. We're gonna spend the rest of our time together going through the text line by line. I wanna give you three phrases that could sum up how you approach and how you navigate this tension in your life. Now, the first two I wouldn't recommend, but we're gonna have to go through them in order to get through to the third. First, when it comes to ambition and contentment, you could say, number one, I want more. I want more. At the heart of the questions that we're asking today is a single word. When it comes to ambition and when it comes to contentment, they both hinge upon this little word, desire. Desire, I I want something more or I'm good with what I have. And this episode from the life of Jacob and Esau gives us a picture of the power of an appetite. The story tells us that Esau, he, he grew to be a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. And when Jacob was content to stay among the tents, Esau was loved by his father. Jacob was loved by his mother. And one day, Jacob, he was cooking some stew at home. Esau came home after a long day of hunting and he was starving. He was hungry. You could say he was hangry. He said to his brother, Jacob, quick, give me some of that red stew. And let's stop right here because this is an appetite speaking. How do I know? Because an appetite always wants what it wants right now. Quick, I don't have time to wait. I don't have time to waste. I don't have time to think about it. I don't have time to consider it. I don't have time to weigh the options. All I know is I want what I want and I want it right now. You guys remember Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. An appetite always says now. It never says later. And what I know about your appetites is you either rule your appetites or your appetites will rule you. To take it further today, you either rule your appetites or your appetites will ruin you. Has anyone ever encountered someone controlled by an appetite? Under the control of an app, there's a habit There's a behavior, there's a pattern. They just can't seem to get under control. And it's so obvious from the outside looking in, but you and I are no exception to the pattern because we all struggle with an appetite. The the pull of an appetite is something that affects every single one of us. Appetites are like toddlers. They're difficult, demanding, unreasonable, and hard to say no to. Esau comes in and he's hungry and he says, quick, Give me some of that stew. I need it right now. And his little brother, his sweet little homebody chef, he sees an opportunity. He's not used to having leverage over his older, stronger, tough brother, his exceptionally hairy 
hunter-gatherer red brother. <laughs> he, uh, he says, well, let's slow this down for a second. Okay, first, sell me your birthright. Now, anyone who's ever negotiated a deal in the room knows this is a terrible position to be in. Desperate and impatient, you know? I need to make this deal happen right now. And as soon as the sharks smell that blood in the water, it is over. Jacob recognizes, ooh, this is my opportunity. And we don't know the whole backstory. Maybe he's been waiting. Maybe he's just been biding his time, looking for the right time to get what he wanted. And now all of a sudden, the door of the opportunity comes. The older brother needs something from him. And Jacob takes advantage of his brother in his moment of weakness. First, sell me your birthright. Now, we have no modern day equivalent of this concept in our culture, but the birthright was very significant in Hebrew culture at this time. The birthright was a series of privileges, advantages, and responsibilities bestowed upon the firstborn son of a family. Now, what the birthright came with was the firstborn son became the priest of the family, meaning he got to go to God on behalf of the family. The firstborn son was given judicial authority within his family, meaning he was able to settle disputes among his relatives and his siblings. The firstborn son was allotted a double portion of the inheritance of his father, and he was given a special blessing from the father, which at this time would be tantamount to the blessing of God. Now, the obvious question this morning is, who on earth would give up all of that for a bowl of stew? Who would sell their birthright? The birthright was Esau's future. Something given to him by God that he could never earn, that he could never deserve, and he could never retrieve. Who in their right mind would trade their future for temporary satisfaction? And the answer is twofold. No one in their right mind would do that. And you and I do it every single day. You've done it, and so have I, because our appetites have us making some bad trades. You ever make a bad trade before? Man, the things in my life, you look back and you go, dude, that makes no sense. That was so silly, but in the moment, it was just too hard to resist. We know better, but we do it anyway, and eventually our appetites will make hypocrites of all of us, because we believe right, but we still do wrong. And the trades we make in our moments of weakness, they're not unforgivable, but some of the things we give up may be irretrievable. You just can't get back some things after you've given them away. And that is the power and the danger of an appetite. An appetite screams, I want more, but nothing will ever be enough. And so I heard a riddle once. It said, what gets wetter as it dries? And the answer is a towel. Well, let me ask you today, what gets hungrier as it eats? And the answer is an appetite. We think we're gonna satisfy it by giving it what it wants, but in reality, we're simply feeding the beast. And the more we feed it, the stronger it gets. An appetite cannot be satisfied. It can only be domesticated. And the way you tame an appetite is not by saying yes, it's by saying no. No, you can't have any more. No, you can't have it now. No, you are not in control of me. 
No, you do not decide. No, I don't need it. No, I'm not going to die, Esau. It's not wrong to have a desire, but let me tell you, I've learned that there exists within me a hierarchy of desires. Our daily human lives are defined by the complex interplay of competing desires, and they can't all get what they want. I have to say yes to one and no to another. So the message is not renounce all desire and live like a monk in the desert. The message is what do you really want? Where will you draw the line? What will you refuse to trade in your life? Where will you say no? Because your father has a blessing and an inheritance and a double portion prepared for you, don't trade it for a bowl of stew. What does Esau do? He does what we do. He starts justifying to make himself feel better. I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? But I think he leaves out two very important words. He should have said, what good is a birthright to me right now? Because the answer is the birthright is no good to him right now, but the birthright is his future. And what he enjoys today, he just might regret tomorrow. But all he knows is I want what I want and I want it right now, right now, right now. So Esau drinks and he eats and he gets up and he leaves and the story ends with this tragic phrase. So Esau despised his birthright. He said, it's not that big a deal. I didn't give up that much because it made him feel better about the bad trade that he made. When it comes to ambition and contentment, you could say, I want more. But secondly, you could say, I need more. Someone said, I need more. I need more. Now, you might be thinking, okay, we've talked about Esau's issues, but what about Jacob? This guy, he took advantage of his brother. He knew he was weak. He knew he wasn't in his right mind. He essentially stole the thing that he wanted. That's not cool, and I agree. I don't think either of these brothers is an exemplar of uh, good behavior. And the truth is, it gets worse, because the next thing we read about Jacob and Esau is two chapters later, when Jacob conspires with his mother to steal Esau's blessing from his father, Isaac, on his deathbed. It's another famous story. We don't have time to walk through it, but... After trading Esau his birthright for a bowl of stew, he deceives his father Isaac into blessing him, giving him the paternal blessing that belonged to Esau. And now I just want to take some time today to look at the other side of the story. But before I do, I want to clear up a theological point just to be abundantly clear with where I stand. God had chosen Jacob to carry the promise he had given to his grandfather, Abraham. According to the prophetic word given to his mother, Rebekah, while she was pregnant, Jacob was destined to rule over his brother. He was destined to lead the family. So I have to assume that somehow the way that things played out is what God wanted to happen in the story. He wanted Jacob to be in charge. He wanted him to lead the family. So I'm not going to claim that Jacob shouldn't have done what he did, but I just want to take a moment to look at this through a bit of a human lens, if I can. Because I think we've got more to learn about ambition and contentment. It's not just Esau's struggle with an appetite. You could argue that Esau was taken advantage of and he was deceived and his brother was wrong. But you could also argue that Esau's actions reveal to us that he did not properly value the thing that God had given to him. 
He didn't value the responsibility he received as the firstborn son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham because God had given his grandfather a promise that he would become a great nation and that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And now we know in hindsight, 3,000 years later, that that was a prophecy about Jesus, that the Messiah would come through the line of Abraham. He would bless all peoples. He would bring forgiveness of sins. And through him, we would be restored into relationship with our father. This is no small thing that Esau is selling. It's no small thing he's given up. It wasn't just about a double portion of the inheritance. It wasn't about a little more money. It was much more than that. And I wonder, maybe Rebecca had shared with Jacob the promise and the prophecy from God that he would lead the family and that he would um, step into God's plan for his life. And maybe he was trying to participate in that. Maybe he was trying to help it move along. Maybe he was trying to have, have it happen for him. And I think all of us, we struggle with our appetites in one way or another. We have things that pull us away and we struggle with in some category of our lives. But I think we all have a deeper desire that drives us. And it's the desire for our lives to have some kind of meaning and some kind of purpose and for our lives to be something of significance. And I think this is the upside of ambition. Not a competitive, comparative ambition that says, I want to be better than you, but a godly ambition that says, I want to be everything God's called me to be, and I want to do something that matters in this world. Is there anyone today who would say, man, I want my life to matter. I want my life to be significant. I want to accomplish the plan and the purpose of God in my life. And so I wonder if sometimes our struggle is not, I want more. I wonder if our struggle is, I need more. If I just had a little bit more, I could do what God has called me to do. I'm just lacking a little, I just need a little more, not out of selfish desire, but out of godly desire. Then I could do what God's called me to. Then I could accomplish everything he's planned for me. I know I'm called to lead, but how am I supposed to lead when I'm the second born? I know I'm supposed to lead, but how do I lead without the birthright and without the blessing? I know I'm called to lead but I need more, God. You didn't give me enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough and I'm not good enough. I don't have the authority I need. I don't have the position or the title that I need. I don't have the money or the resources that I need. God, why did you leave it out? But what if I were to tell you today that God doesn't make mistakes? that God has a plan for you and that he left some things out on purpose. He gives you pieces of the puzzle, but he leaves the picture incomplete because he wants to complete it with you. He gives you the path, he gives you the direction, but he doesn't show you the path because he wants to walk with you through the uncertainty. He wants to walk with you when you don't know where you wanna go. He needs you to rely on him. So what if I were to tell you today that you don't need more? that you don't need more, that you have everything you need. Maybe Jacob was going, okay, God, let's do this. Okay, I I know I'm called to lead. I'm called to do amazing things for you. So I'm just gonna lie here and I'm gonna deceive here and I'm gonna steal here. I'm I'm gonna do anything it takes. I think Jacob's got a little bit of grit. I think Jacob wants to do what God has for him, but he's trying to make it happen on his own and God's going, slow down. I'm more than enough for you. You don't need any more than I have given you. I will provide. And after Jacob, he steals 
the blessing of his brother Esau's enraged and he swears, as soon as my father dies, I'm gonna kill Jacob. And his mother's afraid and Jacob being the tough man that he is, he's terrified. And he goes, listen, I'm like, I'm great with mind games, but like, I'm no good in a fist fight. Like I'm great with kitchen knives, but I'm like totally grossed out by blood, you know? He's a sensitive man is what I'm saying, okay? So he's freaked out. He goes, I'm gonna run. And Rebecca, his mom goes, go to my family. So he goes to his uncle Laban. And long story short, he works there for 20 years in hiding. And he reaps a bit of what he's sown because he gets deceived by his uncle and he gets cheated by his uncle out of the wages that he is owed. And eventually he feels it's finally time. He feels released. I gotta go home. And so he starts on his way back, but he's terrified of his brother Esau and he doesn't know what he's gonna meet when he gets home. So he sends messages ahead of him, messengers to test the waters. He says, like, does my brother seem murderous or no? Like, did he say anything about a blood feud or a personal vendetta? The messengers return and they say, we delivered your message to your brother. Good news, he's on his way to meet you right now. And uh, he has 400 men with him. And Jacob freaks out. He starts praying. He's like, God, I don't want to die today. God, I really don't feel like getting murdered today. Could you please help me out? It's, a, it's actually a beautiful prayer. He sends his servants on ahead of him and he says, I'm, I'm gonna, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna send gifts. So he starts to send gifts ahead of him and he goes, I'm gonna appease my brother. I'm gonna soften his heart. I'm gonna win him over with gifts. He's sending money, he's sending cattle, he's sending whatever he's got. He goes, before I meet Esau, I want him to run into you and you and you. And he breaks them up and he has this whole strategy. And that night he sends his two wives, hello, Leah and Rachel and his 11 sons across the river Jabbok. And they go ahead of him. And it says that he's left alone. And then we get this bizarre story. It says, so a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Okay. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. And, and Jacob wrestles with this mystery man all night until eventually the man says, let me go for it is daybreak. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man who'd spent his whole life angling and posturing and fighting and dissembling and deceiving for all the things he thought he needed. I need the birthright. I need the blessing. I need the position and the authority. I need the inheritance and the influence. I need the approval. I need the resource. I'll do whatever it takes. And he finally gets what he needs. All he needs is the blessing of God. And God gives him a new name. He says, your name's no longer gonna be Jacob, the deceiver, but you'll be called Israel because you have struggled with God and you've overcome. He receives a blessing and an identity from God, not a stolen blessing, a God-given blessing that no one could offer and no one could take away. Instead of fighting with his brother, he wrestles with God. 
he discovers the source of everything he needs. The next chapter, it starts in dramatic fashion. It says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divides his company into groups. He sends the servants first, and then he sends Leah, his second favorite wife, with his 10 sons. And then in the back, Rachel and his son, Joseph, his favorite, until Benjamin comes along. It's another story. He sends them on ahead, but he doesn't hide in the back. He goes first, like the leader that he is. And he steps ahead and it says he bows to the ground seven times in front of his brother Esau. And in Genesis 33, verse four, it says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children and he pulled himself together. He's like, oh, I didn't know <clears throat> there were women around. It's tough. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they're the children God has graciously given your servant. And the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? What's the meaning of all these gifts that you brought? Why are you sending these things on ahead? And he says, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. And here it is, Genesis 33, verse nine. And Esau said, I have enough. I have enough, my brother. Let that which you have be yours. When it comes to ambition and when it comes to contentment, you could say, I want more. You could say, I need more. Or you could say, I have enough. And that's my sermon title for today. I have enough. I don't want more. I don't need more. I'm not trying to get more. I'm trying to appreciate what I have more. I'm not trying to get more. I'm trying to steward what I have more. I'm, trying, I'm not trying to go somewhere else. I'm trying to be present right here, right now. I'm not looking for somebody else. I want to appreciate and love and serve the people God has put in front of me right here and right now. I have enough. I have enough. I have enough. I don't want more and I don't need more. I have enough. That's my new life motto. I have enough. Nobody owes me anything. Jesus gave me everything. I'm content with what I have. My only ambition is just to do what God called me to do. And whatever I need, he's going to give to me. I'm not trying. I'm trusting. I'm not struggling. I'm not fighting. The only fight I'm in is the fight of faith. To trust God more. I'm not fighting with man. I'm wrestling with God. I have enough. Second Peter 1 and 3, his divine power has given us everything we need 
for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. What do you need for a godly knife? Just to know him. That's it. The only thing you need more of is more of him, to trust him more, to believe him more. First Timothy six and six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I don't want more and I don't need more. I have enough. Let me tell you today, worldliness with contentment is a great loss. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's nothing good about being content in your sin, in your brokenness. That's not what I'm talking about today. But once you are in Christ, once you are forgiven, you're set free to be content. You got everything you need. God wants to do more in the future, but I don't need more in the present. I'm excited for what's ahead, but I have enough right now. Is it wrong to be content? I don't think so. Is it wrong to be ambitious? I don't think so. As long as both your contentment and your ambition find their beginning and their end in God. And when you find your blessing and your identity in Him, you will discover you have enough. Come on, somebody said, I have enough. I have enough. We serve the God who is more than enough. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for this story. We thank you for this example that you set. We thank you, God, that everything we need is found in you. Lord, help me to be content. Help me to say, I don't want more and I don't need more. God, I'm not preaching out of a place of perfection. I'm not preaching out of a place I've arrived in. I'm on the journey. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to find the beginning and the end of my contentment and my ambition in you, God. You're more than enough. Everything we need is in you, God. So we look to you today. We lift up our heads. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the beginner, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. We thank you, God, that our blessing is in you and our identity is in you and our inheritance is in you. That because of Jesus, though we were second born, we are now first born. That we serve a God who didn't have to be cheated or stolen from or lied to. That you traded places with us willingly, God. That what we could have never earned or achieved for ourselves, Jesus, that you came and you gave. That as you died, as you went to the grave, Lord, as you resurrected, that we, we find everything we need in you. That we are fulfilled and we are whole and complete in you, Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we aren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask
ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in your next steps on your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com forward slash online. We love you.